Okay. Hello, welcome everyone. Um, this is a really exciting series I'm doing over the next couple of weeks and it's a four-part series and I'm delighted to be joined by the fantastic Tim Radley and he is owner of VM Unleashed and it's a fantastic company. He's also the author of a new book that I'm going to get him to talk about in a second and we're going to delve into the world of retail and each episode we're going to talk about different elements of retail. This particular episode we're going to be talking about store concepts and it's something I'm really passionate about and excited about as is Tim. Tim can you talk a little bit about your book that you wrote which everyone would be really interested in getting their hands on I think. Oh I hope so. Um, Nice to see you again Louise and and everybody else. Thanks for joining us. Um, Yeah so the book's called uh, Meaning in the Retail Madness. Um, It kind of uh, evolved over the last few years uh, where actually I realised you know, slowly working with a lot of clients that actually what was making a difference was not just producing product and having shops, but actually was to be doing it for the right reasons, um, you know, ethically, sustainably, um, but just for the benefit of the employees as well. And that retail had just gone a bit off track and it was all about volumes and, you know, and, and supply chains and things like this. So, um Lockdown was a, an opportunity to kind of put all that down, um, you know, and so many things have happened since and the world keeps evolving and, and retail keeps evolving and what the customer wants keep evo- keeps evolving. So with so much competition out there, it's it's kind of never been easier to be a retailer because if you're going online or, you know, pop up shops, etc. But actually to be successful is probably more difficult than ever. So it wasn't to say there is one meaning you must have, but you have to have, I think, a meaning, a distinct meaning behind why you're a retailer and what you mean to customers. So the book covers all the different areas down the supply chain, how you build the business, how you work with your customers and how you work with the people in your business, you know, to kind of deliver this meaning to customers. So so that's the basis of it and I think today well over the next four weeks but today in particular we talk about store concepts so how that meaning is translated to the customer um you know and creates that bond which means they keep coming to you to buy their products and not somewhere else yeah and that leads us very nicely into and we you spoke about this as well and and I think we touched on it before is that customer experience piece and the role it's it's going to play now more than ever and especially I think when we come out of COVID and you know how important that customer experience is Tim and how do you think I suppose as a retailer this could be someone maybe setting up a retail business or someone that's already in a retail business I suppose what's your take on what that experience you believe should look like in in a retail in a retail space? Okay, well, I think that a good question to start with is what makes a good retail experience? Yeah. And I was doing a workshop quite a few years ago now, and uh, it was in Portugal. And uh, there were all kinds of people in the room across this retail business, some very senior people, some people who just joined literally were learning about the business. Mm. So I asked the question, what's a good retail experience? And uh, partly from bemusement, partly from not wanting to stick their head up above the parapet. Nobody, you know, there's a few mumbles and everything. And then this young girl who was quite new to the business, she said, 
what she thought was a good retail experience was not to fail the customer. And both looking from a customer perspective or, you know, from the retail perspective, that's true. What that means is it can be anything, but it's what the customer wants on that particular occasion. So, for example, if you go into a shop to buy a black pair of shoes, size five, which happens to be what every all the women in my family are, size five. If you come out with a black pair of shoes, size five, you know, that experience could take an hour. You could be trying things on. There could be lots of chat, a cup of coffee, etc. Or you could go in. Yes, we've got that. Bang, out of the door. So this kind of word experience and experiential, it's worth thinking what that is going to be to your business, uh, which is really important. And I think it's kind of been, I, I kind of tempted to use the word hijacked a little bit in that when most people think experiential retail, it's, it is you go in and it's all about this ambiance and it's all about uh, events and razzmatazz, which it can be. And that's brilliant in the right place. But experiential retail can, as I say, be very functional if you go in to collect something and it's just, you know, you're going to get something, they've got it, you're in and out, time is precious, and you're done. So um, you have to cater for the different customer journeys. Um, but also, I think, going back to those elements, you know, like, what is what are the elements that make up a shop experience? So it could be events. It could be, as you said, the hospitality and the, the coffee. It could be promotions. It could be etc etc um just like all other elements of retail they can be copied you know there's a checklist of right i'm opening a new shop it doesn't matter if i'm selling um you know shoes or i'm selling chocolate or whatever you know tick 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 that's going to give me a good experience um the problem always with that and with the experience is that if everybody's ticking the box uh, every experience is better but it doesn't necessarily mean yours is better than anybody else's thing. You've all just kind of moved the bar a bit higher. So um, for me, as with all elements of retail, it's about the authenticity of it. And this also links to the customer service, the people you employ in your shop. So if you go in and, you know, you may have all the bells and whistles and everything, but it's genuine. It, it's there for a reason and it links to the product it links to the services that you have um, and it's genuine that's the thing it works you know but if you go into a shop and they give you I don't know, a little a chocolate or a little you know glass of wine or something when you go in and then they're really kind of quite rude or you haven't got the product there you know they're just ticking boxes so I think in answer to that question, it really depends what the customer wants. It depends what experience you want to deliver as a brand, which is different from other brands around you. But more than anything, it has to be genuine, whether you're just saying hello to somebody or whether it's your whole shop design and everything. It's kind of got to be genuine. It's part of the brand. Yeah, yeah, I, and I and I totally resonate with that because I I do think I do think sometimes we lose focus of who our customer is and who we're serving, and what that customer avatar is or profile is that we're really looking 
to hone in on or to see who they are that sometimes we want to serve the masses as opposed to really understanding who that particular market is that we're going after who that particular customer is and I think you're touching a little bit on that when you're when you're explaining having that authenticity I think it's really going back to that and understanding that a lot better am I right in saying that absolutely I think the best um I think one of the big shifts I don't know if this was ever true it's before even I got into retail but I suspect maybe 56 years ago when retail was kind of a, a new industry that was really evolving. And also particularly when you had family businesses, you know, so-and-so and son or daughter. Um, I think some people did actually wake up in the morning and think, I want to be a retailer. Maybe they said, I want to be a shopkeeper, you know, or something like that. I don't think many people, you know, at school today, when they're in infant school or whatever, that, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a shopkeeper. Um, so I think more retail is kind of more accidental. So it's kind of like, you know, you do, you have a passion for something. It might be a type of sport. It might be music. It might be craft, um, travel. And you kind of have this passion. And then maybe you find there's not the stuff that you need to, to make this happen. There's no products that support it. So you kind of start to develop a brand or you want to make your own chocolates and not just the other people's. And so you get this kind of business developing, which can then lead into a product assortment. And then it leads into retail, which could be a shop or it could be, um, you know, online as well. And that's where the, authenticity and the being genuine comes from because it absolutely does come from a passion uh, and a wish to kind of like you know be proud of what you've done and show off to the customer and hopefully they'll be they'll be happy with it so when you go into these types of retailer they kind of just ooze this authenticity and this kind of um, this warmth you know uh, and it's very you can't train people to do well you can in some respects, but they still have to have that empathy, you know, with, with the actual brand. So, um, I mean, a good example of people who are bigger and train it is one of my favorites, which is Lush, because um, although that's a big chain, it was begun, you know, with really good values about the environment, but also treating people correctly. And so even though it employs thousands of people, um, they're all engaged in the business. And each shop goes out of its way to kind of accommodate all the different colleagues and the, the shifts that they need, what's happening at home. They encourage people to give ideas on products. And they also have this kind of sabbatical where if you recommend a product, and they think it's got, you know, commercial potential, you'd be taken out and you can go and help develop this product and if it makes it to shop it's kind of you know it's your uh your product so you know a big chain you can get that authenticity but that's because people are very loyal to it because they're treated well and they feel as though they're engaged by by the business um and then you get the ones who are really small and it's there's a fantastic uh shop on brick lane in london called dark sugars um and that's um it's a chocolate shop 
they make their own chocolate. It came from one lady's adventure into Africa and around the world to find all the flavors and everything. And she's sometimes in the shop, if not, it, it's very kind of close colleagues. And you go into that shop and they display it. This may, I'm a big fan of hotel chocolate, but dark sugars makes hotel chocolate look like a, I don't know, like a, an airport or something, or it's, it's very, you know, very regimented. You go in, you have all these truffles all over these beautiful wooden displays. Mm. And then you go and ask for a hot chocolate and so they heat the milk up over here and then they get this huge slab of ginger chocolate or whatever you've chosen and this big knife and start, you know, hacking it in front of you. And then, you know, the cup arrives with the milk and it's filling and spilling over and everything, you know, and all the time the, the people are talking and they're there. And, you know, that's a small business where clearly everybody in it you know, is is very tight knit. They all share this passion. Uh, you know, people queue out the door um, to to you know to get their kind of hot chocolate with all the shards of chocolate kind of hanging off the edge of it. So, you know, both of those are very kind of genuine. Yet, you know, one's a very small niche business and one is a very big chain. So it can be managed both ways. But in both ways, it's as I say, this, they're genuine people with a genuine passion. Yeah, yeah. And I think what, what shines through in that is the engagement or the involvement or the buy-in of the of the collective, of the people within that, I think, which is really important. And it just listening to the Lush one, it's really interesting. I worked for, for a large retailer before Next, and we we done an, it was an initiative, um, it was around cost saving and they asked the colleagues in the shop floor the shop floor colleagues do they have any ideas and you know two two of the ideas actually they implement in the business and those two colleagues actually won a holiday away but mm. it was really interesting to see that you know to see that engagement or to see the excitement of you know I want my idea I want them to see my idea on the shop floor because I think mm. and, and it's touching on what you said there I think sometimes um you know head office can be a little bit disconnected from the team on the shop floor and um, the people that are greeting the customers every day it could be a 12-hour contract it could be a 16-hour contract they could be just working Saturdays they could just be working late nights but that that touch point can get very much lost if they're not you know in a certain place or on a certain higher contract and I think having that involvement I think what you touched on there with Lush is just I see the benefits of that and then you know it, it makes it makes people feel valued um listened and heard I think when when you're in a big organization like that so I think I think that's really important I think a lot of companies can learn through doing different different things like that that the the cause and effect of that is 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 quite big in 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 a lot of ways to the business I think not just from a productivity piece but from a retention and all of that as well I think it makes it makes a huge difference yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I use this thing called the passion supply chain. Mm. You know, when people talk about supply chains, they usually talk about product. You know, that's where it came from, obviously. Mm. But um, so that involves a chain of people. You know, and the person who, you know, this is changing for the good, but actually the person who makes your product could be thousands of miles away. And then that product has got to pass through various hands, 
to get to the shop. And as you say, head offices may be, well, they are sitting in a head office, so they're kind of distant from all of this. But to keep that passion for a brand, you know, through a chain like that, so whether it's the people at the board passing it down through their managers, down into shops, but equally and probably more importantly, back up the other way from the people in the shops back up to the, the people in the, the top of the business. But, you know, all that supply chain of the product itself, that they all share that passion. I mean, Hotel Chocolat is a fabulous example because um, they're completely vertically integrated. So the coffee beans that they kind of make everything from, it's from their own plantation in St. Lucia uh, in the West Indies. And so they guarantee the, the the beans are, they give a good price and it's always above kind of the market level. So they really take care of the people who are making the beans, the production of, um, you know, the, the coffee from the beans, I guess, which is the next stage, which happens again uh, in situ. That again, the people are well paid. They have a, a guaranteed kind of job. So actually and they go and meet the people the guy who you know set up the company and all the head office you know and people from the shops they go up and down the chain but it means the guy who's actually um you know growing the bean he you, if you talk to him about a hotel chocolate he'd be absolutely enthusiastic about it because he's you know he's part of the business and he probably feels i hope part of the business yeah. and you know he does well and the business does well so that kind of passion supply chain, but that can be sideways either way. Um, Ocado, you know, they're drivers who deliver and deliver you, you know, your, their kind of groceries to your door. Ocado realized that actually that two, three, five minutes when you're actually taking the stuff out of the van, taking it into people's homes. And in some cases, you know, you're putting it into their fridges for them as well. That's the key experience that people have with Acada. So instead of having van drivers, absolutely no disrespect to van drivers because mm -hmm. you know some they're fantastic, but they decided to employ actors, people with hospitality, customer service background, and then train them if needed to drive a van. So it means that when these people, you know arrive at the door they are naturally you know friendly people they start a conversation you know they're kind of empathetic they get to know these people you know because it's a regular kind of occurrence so um that experience of a brand even when you're taking it then into people's homes is this extension of the you know the kind of the the experience and the, and the passion for the business so yeah. Today it can be anywhere. I know we're sorry, I'm digressing completely. Yeah. So we're talking about. No, shops, no, no. I think but, I think it's really interesting and um, what yeah. you're touching on. And I think I suppose, you know, we talk about stories and we talk about people and skills. And how important is that? You know, you, you spoke about the story about, you know, that from, from the bean that they're, you know, we know that they're being paid well, we know, you know, they that they're being looked after. How important do you think it is now? Because if I go back a couple of years ago, it was very much, you know, we got the product, uh, you know, we went in, we didn't really ask a lot of questions about, you know, mm. where it was coming from or any of 
that sort of thing. But how I suppose if if we look at it from a store concept piece or we're bringing in suppliers um, to to a store, how how important do we think that story is or, or how important is it for retailers to have that um, built into their business or is it? Um, I think it's critical. And I mean, that just that comes down to supply and demand. Going back all those 50, 60 years, there was a lot of demand from new customers who got money in their pocket for the first time. Um, and the demand, uh, the supply was not there. So literally, if you did just put shops and fill them with product, you'd make a lot of money. And a lot of the early retailers did. And that's where the whole of the supply chain came from. But now, um, you know, it's completely flipped. And also, you know, kind of we've been told and also we're reacting to the cost of living. So actually the demand is going down even further. So if supply is now outstripping demand, which it is by far, and the Internet is really obviously uh, an e-commerce has added to that. So um, supply is huge and demand is kind of shrinking. So, you know, what? why do you go to one person? Price is very important and it is more important than ever at the moment obviously with the cost of living but even so you there's only going to be one business that wins on price you know one in food one in fashion and i think we kind of know who they are but you know i don't going to name them they'll be different for different people so there's got to be a story Mm. Uh, but that story could be a big corporate one but it could be a very personal one. You know, if you like the person in this particular shop and every time you go in, they're friendly, they recognize you, you get to know them, you have a chat. Then that's why you go into that one and not something which is very similar. So you need that personality and that kind of emotional connection. But it could be, as I say, big or it could be a very kind of personal. Ideally, it's both. And the people that you're actually, you know, meeting in the shop, um, it's the same as the big business. Yeah. Just you mentioned next early, which is interesting. And just to show the extreme of experience is, um, you know, you buy online and you return to a shop uh, in next. It's kind of their model. Um, hopefully not too much. But mm. so they've got this technology now where they can they basically kind of know and identify every single product every single kind of option and unit they have mm-hmm. so you know particularly at christmas you know after christmas you kind of got i don't know about you you've got envelopes full of receipts and mm-hmm. there's always a few missing and they're always the ones that you want to take back and and you know i go back to old school even here or even the email that they sent you so when you go back to next now oh i know you, you literally hand the product yeah. over and it's like do you want my no, no, we don't need your card. Do you want? No, no we don't need your receipt. It's just, yeah. it's just done, isn't it? Yeah, so, I mean that's a fantastic experience. Mm. Isn't it? Oh, it's amazing. It's um, it's they actually do when they get the stock into the stores. It's a barcode association. So if you look at your next clothing on where you've the care label, there's an actual barcode on that. So they associate that barcode with the one that's the tag on the shop floor. So they associate the two of them together. And there's actually, we do audits where we did at the time, I'd say they still do them, where you associate the barcode. So you can buy it, as you said there, by scanning that barcode and the care label. You can say when it was bought, what time, who it was, all of that. It's it's really, yeah, it's 
it's on another level. I think people don't realize, like, if you think about that, that was, that was brought in, you're going back 20, 2012, that was actually brought into to, to next. And mm. the, from a technology piece, they're, they're way ahead. They're way ahead. Um, fantastic organization. Um, even from a, from a support to colleague and um, values driven. Um, they're, they're, they're a fantastic company. Um, I'm not getting paid to say that, by the way. I literally genuinely worked for them and I loved it. Um, going back to, I suppose, you, you t- talked about this retail hub. And it's consisting of four areas. Um, you talked about Shopper Paradise, Collection Crossroads, Community Hub and Business Centres. So the Shopper Paradise, it's a little bit around, you know, that customer experience piece. Collection Crossroads then, can you talk a little bit about that, I suppose, what that looks like? Yeah, I mean, um, I'm glad you reminded me of the four areas. So I've got them <laughs> in my head. Um, yeah. But yeah, um, so again, this is just a response to omni-channel. Obviously, has had a huge, uh, you know, an e-commerce a huge impact on how retail works. We just spoke about next there, mm. um, and as we also know, it's difficult for shops to survive. People have migrated away. They have, although they are coming back now uh, into physical shops. But physical shops are expensive. Uh, they're more expensive than ever now. Even though rents and rates may be coming down and it's more flexible than it used to be, you've got your uh, energy costs, etc. So you really have to maximise what's happening in your shop. So anything other than, uh, above and beyond selling product yeah. um, is going to make better use. So... The four areas were this, you know, customer uh, shopper paradise. You correct me because you've got the four there. So, you know, that really is what we think of as the shopping experience. So you go in there, you want to shop, you want to browse, you want to explore the product. It's got, you know, great customer service. It's got fitting rooms in there, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, So that's just a fabulous shop. But equally, if you're somebody like Next or most people now, you know, omni-channel is the model. Pure mm-hmm. play are finding it difficult now that COVID has gone. So a physical presence, whether it's through your own shops or whether it's through collaborations. So, for example, you know, it sounds again like the advert for Next, but, you know, they formed this relationship with Amazon. So you can now collect and pick up Amazon products from any Next shop. So that drives footfall. So, um, you know, so there's this kind of symbiosis between e-commerce, pure play, physical shops. So this collection crossroads is that is taking some of the shop space and it's creating this place, this service for people to come and collect, people to come and return. It's where there may be physical delivery, whether it's on a bike using Deliveroo or whoever or, you know, a delivery van, etc. So. Um, in most shops, you pr- particularly on the channel, you don't need as much stay- space for product. So utilize some of the shop for all these more functional things that are still hugely important to a customer. The ones who don't like shopping, but actually it's very important. And in fact, you know, there's a lot of data as well that when people go into a shop to return something, they go and they buy something new and quite often they'll buy you know, X amount more as well. 
So in, ironically, returns are driving footfall in shops. So yeah, shopper paradise, um, the kind of collection crossroads. Community is the third one. I think that's really important. Yeah. Um, every type of community. So it's the customer community, it's the colleague community, it's bringing them both together. And it can also link with a, a location, you know. So um, you see so many examples of these, you know, where they give up space to uh, to do things with the customer. The fitness area is fantastic. So anybody like Lululemon, uh, Sweaty Betty, you know, pushing back all the fixtures on a Saturday morning and having, you know, Pilates classes and things like that. Um, having a community of local instructors, you know, who come in and give these lessons. Um, so, so that's great. And in fact, if you look at, if you ever go to the Sweaty Betty in Carnaby Street in London, they've got all of that. There's a little gym in the bottom. There's the shop. There's a cafe upstairs. There's a little beauty salon hairdressers as well. So they've got a community of retailers with Sweaty Betty at the heart that all serve the same, same customer that you know create a, a community of customers who come in sometimes just for a cup of coffee sometimes they come in for uh you know for beauty and hopefully quite often they come in for to buy the clothing as well so anything around that and i think classes are great you know hobby craft they do things where you go in and you know you can learn how to frame pictures or you can learn how to crochet or whatever you know things like that so the community part is really important because it attracts customers in. So again, it drives footfall and it creates a loyalty and it creates a bond between the shop and the customer. Mm. And the other one is basically an area uh, where there are other opportunities to actually kind of create income. So it could be that you have additional space. So you could be renting that out to um to businesses uh who could rent that space and use it as a meeting room or something it could become particularly with changes in shopping uh with uh, working from home that's like a mini regional office could even be where you have your shop manager it could be turned into accommodation you know john lewis uh, converting huge amount of uh space above their retail shops losing a couple of floors and making it into housing which is brilliant because you're basically putting customers on top of your shop i think they let you out without buying anything but you're basically you know you're, you're bringing the customer to you which is fantastic and even things like um you know shop managers being online customer assistants so you know like video demonstrations which came through lockdown but i think it's going to continue yeah. particularly things like electrical you know you want to see how something works a new vacuum cleaner you go online you're sent straight through to the shop manager who moves from her shop of paradise into this little studio maybe at the back of the shop where she can demonstrate how this you know this vacuum cleaner works and then you know, you can arrange to come and pick it up from the shop or you may go and buy it online. But so it's all about that's all about experience, all different experiences, very functional, very emotional, community driven um, and service driven. 
and the balance, you know, of how that might work. And I think shops need to be more fluid. So those those four areas don't necessarily have to have, you know, uh, solid walls because things are going to change over time. But it also could be that certain days of the week, everybody's in clicking and collecting. It could be that other days of the week, that's when they come into shop. It could be when you want to do the community things like the sweaty betties of this world. Saturday, you create different space. So there's not just the fluidity of different things that are going on there. There's a different use of space, which is very fluid. Um, customer service teams, you know, shop colleagues who, you know, their role potentially is very interesting because they can be online doing some kind of, you know, video uh, service. Then they could be in the shop. Then they could be running a class. So um, this kind of fluidity, but all with one experience, one brand, if you like, one tone of voice. So whichever element you're actually in there using, it's still it's very cohesive and it's still very focused on the values, you know, of every brand that's doing that. Mm. Yeah, and I and I love that. And I do think that um the model has changed, you know, listening to, you know, we can we can do it this way. And, you know, even if I look at the hospitality industry, they're they're curtailing their way they do business you know based on what their customers want and I think that's a little bit what you're touching on there with the it, it's not a one set way of doing things it's very much it's it's open now to doing things in a different way and in a different light and um, just to touch on and I think we, we touched on it slightly but what I I seen recently in in a in a three store it's a, it's a phone store for anyone that doesn't know three mobile there was a huge focus on the digital experience in that store experience in a particular branch that I went to, but there wasn't a lot of interaction. Um, actually, I found, and and I think there was just probably not a lot of staff um on the floor. There it was a, it was a busy time. It was peak trade. Are we? Do you think going to be more digitalized from an interaction piece in stores now, or do you think? you know what you're seeing Tim do you think that we're we're still going to need that as much because we're hearing a lot of noise outside you know where people are saying it's digital and we're all on our phones we're all on our TikTok or Instagram you know influencers and all of this are playing a role in how we buy and how and influences us as consumers on what to buy more than ever that the product knowledge piece isn't as important as what it used to be for people working in retail because most of the customers coming through the door have already done most of that on their on their mobile devices. So I suppose when they go into that store, I, what's your take on that, I suppose? Because I'm seeing a lot saying, you know, we, we see self-service checkouts, which, which I actually encountered in Zara in Dublin, which I was really surprised about. You know, I get it when I'm grocery shopping, but I thought to have that self-service checkout I was surprised because that would have been where they could have gotten my details to sign up to the loyalty program or you know the end of the sale or whatever that might be and and coming from a retail background myself I was thinking is it a missed sales opportunity and um, having me um, self-check out in a Zara store uh, you know and, and that kind of went through my head at the time but but what's your thoughts on that Tim? Um, 
Firstly, I think the two most important elements, I wouldn't kind of say one more important than the other, are technology and people mm. um, in your business. Those are the two areas to focus on. Um, the other thing is that before you, I think, you get into channels, touch points, is just to think about the brand. So the brand is going to be going across channels. It will have, you know, probably physical shops. Mm. Um, it will have uh, e-commerce. Mobile, obviously, is hugely important. It's going to have social media and everything. So as a brand, you may be doing selling and services in a shop. You may be doing it on the mobile app. You may be doing it, as I say, through uh, various other kind of touch points. So you need to use the technology and the people across all these kind of different touch points uh, in an equal way. And in fact, the more you can use the same people to go across all these different channels and the same kind of technology, so it's very cohesive, you basically, it's good because what you're doing is you're allowing the customer to interact with you in whatever that way they want. So they might... Um, and just another thing to throw in at this point, there's a lot of, you know, this thing that experience, customer experience it will or retail experience is the savior of the high street, mm. which implies that online is boring and functional and being in a shop is exciting. Well, I think we all know we've kind of experienced the opposite as well. For example, you know, there's uh, there's now live streaming retail. Mm. There's a, a company in America called Drop TV and they have music videos where, you know, all the rappers and everything are wearing kind of merchandise, their own or from, you know, Adidas or who, whoever. Uh, and you buy it literally from the video. You can have people who are fishing. If you really like fishing, you know, they're, you know, they're literally showing you how to fish and you can buy the rod they're using. So if you're really into you know, either the rap music or fishing and you're there on your screen, that's an amazing experience. And it's better than going into an empty shop, you know, with no atmosphere to buy a fishing rod. But equally, it can be the other side of things. So going, you know, talking about the, the three shop and supermarkets then. So you have to allow you know, the different variations for different customers. Supermarkets are a good example because you still get the tills where the conveyor belts and people go through. And there the relationship between the persons behind the till and the people buying is really important. I remember Asda uh, a number of years ago, they, they trained everybody who worked on the till to look at what the person was buying and to pick on something that they had a personal experience of and to kind of evangelize about it. So they saw this washing up liquid going through. They go, oh, wow, I use that. I've used that for years. It's brilliant, isn't it? And, to you know, they have then this conversation. And it's very interactive. Um, but equally, you know, you know, there's the one where you literally go through with your basket, you know, bang, 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 and you're out. Um, so you've got to, and that's tech, one's technology, one's kind of more people, but actually technology is facilitating everything. And, uh, you know, that example we had next with the technology that allows you to literally take it back so easily. So I'm not a big 
fan of um and i've seen it kind of wasted so many times is technology in shops where that's the the main if you like experiential interface technology in shops as a functional interface is fantastic i.e the next example the quick scan and straight out um in sainsbury's um but i think in terms of an experience this idea that you could put this tablet or this big kind of terminal and you would go into it in a shop and you would kind of you know get immersed in the brand and the product and stuff um I'm not a big fan of that. I've, it's rarely that I've seen that work. It works best when you have a member of staff and you, and you're doing it together. JD Sports uh, in their big shops on Oxford Street, they have the amazing digital screens, which are used in several ways. So for example, when you go in the shop, they're like a, they can be a standard kind of, you know, single graphic promoting a product then every so often it's a video so you're getting something that you've seen on tv again it's about uh, a new product you get communication of services but some of them are also interactive screens that you can buy from but the best way that works is that you talk to the assistant maybe you haven't they haven't got the product that you want you go over to a screen they kind of tap it and you've got this huge website there and you go through, there's information there which maybe the assistant didn't know about or even the shopper didn't know about. So you learn together, maybe compare a few products and then you can literally buy, you know, off the off the wall in the shop. Um, so, you know, there's, there's extremes. I just want to talk to people. I just want to use technology to do this quickly and easily. But I think the interaction between people and technology um, in a kind of imaginative way, you know, and a, a way which doesn't create barriers. Technology works. People are polite, not rude. You know, there's no barrier between, for example, really important to get somebody in a shop to go on a website in a shop. They need to know they're going to get credit for what might be an online sale that actually that came from their work inside the shop. So to make all this work, these people have to have a real genuine belief and proof that a sale is a sale. A sale for next is a sale for next and not for Marks and Spencers and vice versa. So I'm just there to get a sale you know, in the nicest possible way. And I don't really care if it's online, offline, whatever, you know, it's the sale. So, you know, as I say in shops, I think if there's some obvious functional things with technology, obvious, completely immersive people experiences, you've got to deliver those. But actually there's be a lot of kind of, you know, movement between. And in fact, the, the my local, uh, not three shop, but my local EE shop, to give them a little plug, um, they're brilliant in there. And of course, what happens is you go in, you maybe have a look around, you sit down with them. They're really helpful. And the first thing they do is they get out the tablet and they explain what your contract is and what the options are and what phones you can kind of trade up to. And then they'll go and get a phone. And so either... The guy without his tablet would be half the job and the 
you know, the shop with technology without the guy would be half the job. So you've got to kind of bring them, to, you know, together. That would that would be my feeling on it. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's. I think what you touched on there was examples of having a balance. I think really having the balance, and um, that one more without the other, it doesn't really give that kind of happy medium. And I think it's mm-hmm. it's coming back to again knowing what your actually customers coming through the door, what their preferences are. And I think it's it's touching in with them. It could be a customer survey piece. It could be um, a loyalty program where you're getting that real-time data or asking them if you're at the till or asking them on the shop floor and, and really honing in on that a little bit, I think, depending on what your product is and what service you're providing. Um, I loved listening to your examples, Tim. Absolutely fantastic. And those four areas, again, just to recap on them, Shopper Paradise, um, Collection Crossroads, Community Hub and Business Centres. So looking at those four elements and really thinking, am I actually looking at any of those in my business currently? Could I maybe look to bring in maybe a little element of each one into my business? And I think it's it's coming back to having more of a, you know, not a, a a one step model that's, you know, looking at things in a different way as and bringing in different elements to your business. Again, you know, looking at uh, TikTok as a revenue stream. Could I do some TikTok videos for my product? Um, you know, can I do some demos on a Saturday to increase traffic or footfall or conversion in my business? So all of those great examples um, were fantastic, Tim. And thank you. The time has just run out. It's been amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. And I'm looking forward to the next episode. Yeah, it's good. Good. Uh, we've got four. Yeah, time flies. So you uh, <laughs> you have to guide me and stop me, you know. But it's uh, <laughs> more interesting, I think, than ever at the moment there are so many new influencers strands customers are, have changed there's so much more in potential to interact with them and you know create these experiences so um yeah for those who get it right you know it's uh there's a lot of opportunities out there yeah and if people want to reach out to you tim the best way to reach out to you is i know you're quite active on linkedin tim radley and um your website vm unleashed Absolutely, yeah, 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 and uh, books on Amazon. So you'll books find on it Amazon, easy. yes, definitely check out the book. It's fantastic, filled with loads of real life examples and and things that Tim has come across in his career. And yeah, there's some fantastic ideas there, definitely worth sharing. So thank you so much, Tim. Have a fantastic day. And you as well. Nice to see you again. And uh, yeah, everybody else, have a good week. Yeah. Thank you.